Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Review Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two tenacious, handsome co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Mirandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies on a modern cinematic context. If you want to uh, find us on the web and you're listening to the show for the first time, you can uh, do so at reviewedpodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and you can find to us find us at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. Slash reviewedpodcast. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about a light, frivolous movie. Um, we're going to be talking about Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. The Godfather. It's my family, kid. It's not me. How do things ever get so far? I don't know. What's important is that we have each other. That we have a life together. That we have children. Our children. In doing this show, uh, The Godfather is the type of movie that's my least favorite kind of movie to do because, <laughs> thanks Mike for choosing it. No problem. Um, the reason being is that this is a movie that is frequently referred to as one of the best movies of all time. So what is our discussion really going to entail other than, wow, <coughs> this movie is really, really good? Um, and so, and me doing bad It's like Marlin. playing the Yankees or something. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like rooting for the Yankees. Um, and... And, uh, you know, other, other than the excuse for us to do bad Marlon Brando uh, impressions. Like they massacred my boy. <laughs> that's pretty good. I wouldn't <laughs> say that's bad. Did. Look how they mastered my boy. <laughs> See, that was a bad one. That wasn't that's good. good. Oh, but mine was amazing. Yours is we, pretty good. So <laughs> yeah. um, Mike chose this movie because being the... You can act like a man. Man, Sorry. man, Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Mike, to. being the uh, cinematic newbie that he is, mm. has never seen The Godfather, which is crazy because I'm assuming The Godfather was probably like Mike's childhood. Like, <laughs> like I picture, oh, it, yeah, yeah, basically being, being Italian, from being that he's Italian, he's from Jersey. I just picture Mike's like all his family events are just like what is depicted in this movie. <laughs> um, so, but before going to Mike and hearing what his initial thoughts and seeing this epic film, this film about the Corleone family, um, you know, talking about uh, the mafia scene and about how how Michael Corleone's uh, slow and reluctant rise to power in post-war America. Um, I'm going to turn to Dave, Dave being our resident cinephile on the podcast. He knows everything about movies. So I don't want to get your experience about like, when did you first see The Godfather? We'll get to that. My question to start out this show, starting out a little bit different, is Dave, let's say you've got a classroom of kids in front of you, young kids who have never seen The Godfather. What's your pitch why is The Godfather deserving to be the number one ranked movie on IMDb? Why is it the movie that is consistently considered one of the greatest cinematic classics of all time? Like, what about this movie? And I, I guess that's where I'd start. Yeah, well, I'd say many reasons. I mean, for one, it's a it's a masterclass in filmmaking, just in directing um, and craft. I mean, just the uh, cinematography, the editing, the look of the film, the production design, uh, the acting. There's almost... there's there's uh, 
very few sour notes in the whole uh, cast, I would say. Um, you know, you look at this cast and you see what it, how it, it just uh, it created stars out of Al Pacino and James Caan and Diane Keaton. And, um, you know, it, it uh, reinvigorated Marlon Brando's career. Um, it created one of the most iconic characters of all time. Well, I, I would argue two of the most, two of the most iconic characters of all time in um, Vito and Michael Corleone. And uh, not to mention that it's, it's, it influenced so many other movies. I mean, regardless of how you feel about this movie, you can't deny that, that uh, this was a, like a, a turning point in cinema. Oh, just knocked the pop filter. Sorry. Uh, turning point in cinema. And, uh, you know, before this, there were, there were gangster movies that were, uh, that were relatively light, I think. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not an expert on gangster cinema, although I have watched a lot of gangster movies. Um, but uh, I would say that uh, if you are interested in movies at all, uh, gangster movies are a large part of it. And this, is, this movie is almost like discovering the core of, of the last 40 years of, of crime films. Um, anything from The Sopranos on television to Goodfellas or uh, Miller's Crossing, which, 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 mm. which we talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, God, the Godfather is kind of the source uh, for a, a, just a, you know, the way a lot of films are, uh, you know, I think, marketed and structured and, and um, you know, the tone, the, the kind of like operatic, serious tone that a lot of dramas have, have had ended up taking taking on for years years to come. So uh, I would say, class, if you don't enjoy this movie, I think you don't enjoy movies, you know? Wow. Bold that's, statement. That's, that is uh, what I would say. Well, I think that's wow. a really good, I mean, that's a kind of a good broad view of this is, it's basically a way of saying that this is an important movie, right? No doubt. Um, Mike. Bearing that in mind, that this is in fact an important movie and one that inspires so many movies to come from it and launches careers and is technically incredibly well made, watching it now in 2015 for the first time, again, amazing that you've, you've managed to avoid The Godfather up to this point, were you entertained when you're watching it? Is this, I mean, let's, let's ignore the pedigree here. Flat out, did you enjoy watching The Godfather? Oh, that was. I'm sorry, we're Our done. Mystery <laughs> caller. <laughs> Am I good to go? Can I? Yeah, can yeah, I? Yeah. Okay. okay, all right. Um, that was perfectly timed, by the yeah. way. <laughs> uh, was I entertained? Uh, yes, I was very much so. Um, and like you kind of mentioned, I think I'm a little biased because I'm watching the movie and I relate to it a lot because I like because your family was all in yes, love, yeah. yeah, like. There were scenes I'm like, geez, this could have been right stripped right out of like a family movie from uh, you know home movie from God 1983 1984. Um, but that aside, like all the personal issues aside, and I think it is just very well crafted and yeah, it's enjoyable. The characters are, are very compelling. Um, you have James Caan who, as Sonny, you have, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Al Pacino. Well, not, no, that's not what I was going to say. Uh, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Thank you. <laughs> Al Pacino. I mean, everybody, I don't think any, any character in the movie doesn't have like their, their minor roles, but they all pop off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, even the minor characters Scream. I think have... <laughs> Well, you, right, the screen. I mean, they're, they're kind of popping all over the but place. But the movie yeah. is based on a, a novel by uh, Mario Puzo. So, yes. I mean, it is it is essentially a, a literary work as well. Uh, but continue, sorry. Yeah, and, and as, as far as like movies go, I feel like, you know, it, we always talk about film versus movie or entertainment versus having substance. I feel like this is something that is more literary in that sense. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I just think like the amount of detail they went through just making, like I said, even the characters that weren't necessarily important or a character you only have at one scene, like Mo Green is in what, two scenes? Mm-hmm. One scene and then like a murder scene. You got, what's his name, the big body, you got Luca Brasi, who is 
a very minor role when you think about it, but he seems so significant. He feels so real. Um, cinematography, beautiful, beautifully shot. Um, and amazing how they can capture, you know, just the, the intimacy of the house they live in and these people's lives and also the broad strokes of the Italian countryside um, and New York City and just the sprawling, you know, intrigue of these all these rival families. I, I Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> that's good because you actually did choose it. Um, so I have a confession to make about The Godfather. Oh. No, no, no. Hear, hear me out here. Um, I think I first saw The Godfather either in my late teens or when I was, you know, a freshman in college. So pretty late in my, you know, I, I watched it because I needed to, uh, it was almost like, uh, had to watch it. Like it was a thing that, you know, as someone who likes movies, you have to watch The Godfather. And I have been pretending to like The Godfather, I think. For many years, until this this sitting, where I can genuinely say I really like The Godfather, and it took me. I, I think I I don't think I was mature enough to appreciate it when I first. I was going to ask you why did you not enjoy it? Um, and um, there is um, okay. So you see Goodfellas first, which is a prototypical gangster movie by Scorsese, and that is a movie that is all energy all the time. It's got a coked out energy. Mm-hmm. It's got a. It's got this blasting pop soundtrack it's got these larger than life characters and then you go to uh the compare and contrast with the godfather is the godfather is a slow meditative movie mm-hmm. um that is very anti goodfellas and I, I feel like these movies are unfairly put together because they deal with similar subject matter about organized crime italian organized crime it's the rise of a crime lord in in and around new york City. but if basically. you know <laughs> if 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 goodfellas a movie i enjoy very much is the teenager that just got his mom's like convertible for the first time. <laughs> right. The godfather right. is the established father who's driving his Mercedes Benz luxury cruiser down the highway. He's like, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's the difference in these pictures. And in watching it this time, I was amazed by how quickly three hours went by, how invested I was in the story. And structurally, usually I give long movies crap for being structurally poor. Like we could have cut stuff out here. This movie is the tightest three hours you're ever going to mm. see. Every scene's important. Um, and it works, you know, just from a narrative structure standpoint of how they set up the, the your reluctant hero and how you set up this patriarch of this family and how it you, you know inevitably Michael Corleone is going to have to take over this family, but how they get there feels incredibly natural mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the story, um, almost to the point where the I think the end shot is one of the most chilling in all all of movies. Yeah, and you know they followed the, they followed the Godfather up with the Godfather Part Two, which eventually we should probably talk about in this show because it's probably one of the few sequels that is either equal or better to mm-hmm. better than the original. Um, mm. But you could never shoot another sequel to this movie and you would be totally satisfied the way that this film ends. Right. Um, but we're going to get into some of the deeper things about this movie and what makes it so strong, some of the broad strokes that Dave touched upon. But I'm going to turn back to Dave now. And now I need to know, Dave... How old were you when you first saw The Godfather? I want to know all about. I want to know what clothes you were wearing. I want to know. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not that far. Maybe just you know, age context. Well, like that. <laughs> well, nineteen ninety was a big, I would say, a formative year for me because I think Goodfellas came out that year. The Godfather Part Three came out that year. Nineteen ninety was nineteen ninety was The Godfather Three, and, and oh. I can't remember in which. I mean, I'm sure everything came out around Christmas time. But I, I remember distinctly seeing The Godfather first on TV, probably in anticipation of knowing, knowing that The Godfather 3 was coming out. So I was like, well, I, I, like, I kind of like these gangster movies now, so I better prepare. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember seeing, just seeing it on VHS. And uh, 
I remember watching it and my dad coming home from work saying, oh, this is a good movie. And you're watching. I'm like, thanks, dad. <laughs> like, um, or anyways, not some, whatever other crap I was watching at the time. And, uh, and uh, so it was kind of like the beginning. You know, I, I kind of started with the best when, when it came to like uh, becoming a film fan, I think. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I used to watch movies a lot over and over again. Like I, I, would, I would record them on. I had, I had a little a camcorder in the VCR and I used to hook up the camcorder to the VCR and you could dub over the movies that way. I, I don't know. If I had know. two VCRs and we yeah. record one. Or you but could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a closet full of VHS tapes at one point with just movies, you know, all the movies that I, that I, you know, loved and uh, the Godfather was one of them. So it was just one of those ones that I popped in and I, you know, I, I don't know, watching this movie, you know, again, it's just like, oh, I've seen this movie a million times, you know, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, um, you know, all the way through. So it feels different. I also have watched it on Blu-ray on, on the biggest screen I've ever seen it on upstairs in my living room. And, oh, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You made it. Dave's Blue, got Blue a big TV. Dave's got the biggest TV he's ever, ever watched anything on. Well, Bigger I mean, than an IMAX well, screen, to, to for put, the record. To give it some context, I had, you know, growing up, I had a 13-inch uh, tube. You and the rest of the world. Little 13-inch television. I had, on our kitchen table, uh, a, like, 3 by 3 black and white TV wow. screen. Yeah. That wasn't our main TV. Did you watch, did you watch uh, Goodfellas on that? No no, 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 no. You could probably hook up your camcorder to it if you I want. Probably could have. Yeah. Probably could have. Anyway, so I watched it over and over again on my little 13-inch TV and, and eventually upgraded to a 20-inch television where I, I continue to watch movies like The Godfather and Goodfellas over and over again. And I don't know, there's something there's something about the gangster genre that really appeals to young film fans. I mean, it's, it's obvious that someone like Quentin Tarantino went on to make Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction is his first movie, uh, is his first, you know, first couple movies. Um, there's something that's just uh, very exciting about... Um, know guys acting tough and and uh you know i, I guess uh, doing things that you you know living lifestyles that you, you you wouldn't be able to live and the godfather is just kind of like this majestic exploration of 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 this lifestyle that you know few few of us ever get to see and and, and when i say lifestyle I don't, just, I don't just mean gangster i mean like obscenely wealthy and powerful um and i think that's part of the appeal of this movie and and for me i think a uh, big part of the appeal was just uh, I think I latched more onto Al Pacino's character, Michael Corleone, as is a you know when I was younger, just because uh, I I I could there's some kind of there's an, like an angsty quality to him that I think if you're a teenager or, or col- mm-hmm. if you're in college you can kind of understand uh, or you can you can it, there's something there. Yeah, he's got the brooding look. The, you the, know, the, the brooding look. I mean, Al Pacino is amazing in this movie, and um, and you know, and 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 in The Godfather Part Two. Uh, you can really, I mean, it's, you know, whatever, whatever he does, he's one of those actors that has gone so far, so far into uh, over the top acting in the past 10, 15 years. But, you know, he can, he'll always have his two performances in these first two Godfather. Well, I, I think it, I, I don't want I don't mean to interrupt you too much, but it's a point I do want to touch upon because Al Pacino in this movie is unrecognizable from the Al Pacino yeah. that he has become. Yeah. Yeah. He is Al Pacino is look. Al Pacino is known for scream acting, for big, uh, you know, movements, <laughs> for everything, yeah. for exactly and in good in the godfather he is incredibly subdued mm-hmm. um it, it, almost to the point where he feels like an entirely different person you know <laughs> and, what guys i i got to be honest i had no i knew he was in the movie i knew he had a role as michael mm-hmm. corleone but i just never thought he was the main character mm-hmm. going to this the only characters i really had seen before was was uh, james Brand- con and obviously marlon brando right. i thought it was going to center more about more around brando with michael as a like side supporting character and then i'm like oh it's not even the godfather is about it's not 
it's Michael Corleone. He's the Godfather that the title refers right. to, not not Vito. You know, right. so it's about the passage of power from one, right, one generation right. to the next. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit of uh, a point that you you address, Dave. This idea that we as filmmakers latch onto gangster movies, which is interesting because especially Italian Americans, they love mob movies, like because it's like uh, like Italian Americans uh, are really into the Godfather. But is that it always seems strange to me that there is this appeal to a lifestyle that obviously paints Italian Americans as somewhat stereotypical and all criminals. So, <laughs> but it's not just that though. It's you know like the details of a movie like The Godfather. I think are probably what people latch onto. Like, um, there's there's a scene where uh, it's it's before you know there's a turning point in the story where Michael, uh, you know Vito Corleone shot. And he goes to the hospital, and that's kind of a turning point. Michael's character where he sees his father vulnerable and he decides he's going to, you know, kind of rejoin his family and become one of his family. This is, there's, there's a scene in the kitchen where, Clement, where Clemenza, who's one of the bodyguards for this family, is making sauce, making just pasta sauce. And the way he describes just making the pasta sauce, mm-hmm. throwing in the tomatoes mm-hmm. and the sugar and whatever and the wine. It's all true, and, by the way. And, you know, it, and, and that makes me think, you know, a big part of ga- gangster movies make me kind of hungry. I mean, oh, dude, you know, you know. I um, I made chicken parm the next night. Um, <laughs> we, we were eating cannolis earlier on the podcast. Yes, so, yes, yeah, had, yeah. I, I demanded cannolis for this podcast. <laughs> and, and not to talk too much about Goodfellas, but there's, there's a scene in the prison in Goodfellas yeah, where they're yeah. making, um, you know, they're, they're cutting the garlic razor Meatballs thin. and garlic. And, 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 and yes, absolutely. And even even the restaurant <laughs> where Michael kills. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, that's the, great. It, that, that, I want to eat at that restaurant. Yeah. Despite yeah. the people, I'm there's sure a double... A lot of people have, there, yeah. They're there shoveling a, amazing Italian food in their face while they're you know, <laughs> getting shot. I mean, I guess that's the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, so, I'll say, you know, it's it such upon that, you know, why Italian-Americans like these kinds of movies being there is an Italian American um I I because yeah I think you're right it does paint them in not such a great light but it I think it's not just that it doesn't show them as just a murdering bunch of thieves or you know like it, there's a lot more depth to them there's a lot more depth to the whole just the family and even there's some kind of almost an honor amongst thieves kind of thing going on where you know they kind of come to agreements between each other and then then there is some backstabbing that kind of stuff, but there is something that's very like these people aren't inhumane about the way they do certain things, right? Like, I mean, you think about, um, you know, Vito Corleone's his you know uh, emotional low is when he sees his son brutally murdered and he sees his corpse, like, and he's he breaks down, he's crying. Something that he criticizes earlier um, about when when what's his name the 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 Frank Sinatra ripoff singer comes uh, in and talks oh, yeah. to him about, it, and he's like, "Why are you crying for? Like, man up! What are you doing? <laughs> you can act like a man. Act like a man, yeah." Um, <laughs> But I think that there's a, a certain level of depth Johnny. to all of these characters. Johnny, right, LaFontaine, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's just that you're seeing this guy, even seeing him play with his his grandson in the garden, like, mm-hmm. you know, putting the, the orange thing in his teeth as mm-hmm. like a... You see a human side of these people and you kind of understand where they're coming from and it's almost like this is just what they've known. This is not necessarily like they just understand that this is what you have to do to survive and to get ahead. And you think they see themselves as criminals? Because I don't. No, yeah. no, because they. I mean, if they did, they would have gone right into the drug trade. And he right. he recognized that there's something different about that. It's not. This is this is something that could become really bad really quickly. Let's not have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why. I think the other half too is like it gives you something to be proud of. If it's you know it's your culture doing something, it's like yeah, look how tough we are. You know, yeah. we're a tough group of guys. We run around. We. So I feel like I can understand. I understand what it is, you know. Oh, I think I, I think there is something to that. Uh, this idea of, as Dave touched upon, power and this idea of feeling um, like you control something, especially for an immigrant population that's striving to achieve that legitimacy. Right. Uh, a, good, yeah. a, good, a great example I can give is: um, uh, Do you guys know what Murder Inc. is at all? No. It's 
it's the Jewish mafia that existed in like the 1920s, 1930s. It's okay. <laughs> Isn't there a Bruce Springsteen song about? Potentially, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All I know is he that does have a song called Murder Incorporated. I didn't know. What is he it Jewish? Was, no, no. Um, I don't think I don't so. He's from so. Jersey, though, um, where Murder Inc. was based out of. But the reason oh, I bring this sense. up is, um, like, they did terrible things to people, but Jews love to revere them because it's this idea of... You guys are strong. You're powerful. We, yeah. Like, this idea that it's almost like an oxymoron to say tough Jews, right? But this idea <laughs> is that there was this group of badass tough Jews yeah. that still also ate kugel and went to services and did all these things that... You know, uh, you know, so it, it's it's finding a strength in uh, your 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 respective minority. And we do this all the time in culture where we um, like, every, yeah, every group, you have the Russian mob, you have uh, Yakuza, you have all these different like subculture and like organized just, crime. And we just like feeling we're part of a localized community and something. There's a relatability there. And that's what you talked about, this idea that you're related yeah. to what you're seeing on screen. Like a great example is when every musician, musicians go to uh, concerts in various cities and they're like, oh, it's so good to be here in Cleveland where all the people like it's the nicest weather and all like you know they always right. and it was like, he's talking about the place where we live like yeah i like this guy no one loves cleveland but yeah. it's just this idea that you know you're you're fostering a community and you can relate to something and this is why uh this is why gang violence exists it's 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 you feel like you belong to something you feel it's like something you belong to something and there's and legitimacy I, to and it i guess i guess this is my rambling way of i think the godfather captures that kind of perfectly um, in terms of family, like, you know, what you do for family, whether or not, you know, uh, you probably should or should not, you know, how you take care of family and how you support one another and how you stand up for your own your own people, so to speak. And um, make an interesting point just real quick. Um, I mean, you think about the opening scene and it's basically him criticizing somebody who is coming to him just to, to take care of somebody or kill somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's telling him, no, like, you, you, if you came to me as a friend and we were actually friends, this would be a very different situation. Mm-hmm. But you got to tell me, like, are we friends or are we not? You're just coming here for a quick favor and, like, an exchange of money and I do something for you. That's not what it's about. It's about having friendship with each other. We ha- we we work, we work help each other out. That's what it's about, you know? Right. Um, so they're, they're kind of establishing the uh, the theme of the movie at the beginning where it's like, right, yeah. you know, you, you can't, uh, you know, they, they may be criminals, but they don't see themselves as, as, right. and as criminals. You, you they see of, themselves as as doing favors for each other and supporting each other and creating, like you're saying, fostering a community. And right, right out of the gate, they, they make you understand inside with them because this man is telling him how, like, I tried to do the right thing. My daughter was basically, like, completely destroyed. I, I tried to do the right thing. I went to the police. I went to the, you know, this guy got off trial. Like, I have no recourse. You got to help me out because, like, the system is corrupt. We are the only things that are good. Because right out of the gate, that opening scene, you feel like you're, you, you can understand why they do the things they do. And you, it, it humanizes, you know, the mafia and the motiva- motivations behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is a film, like, that, that opening scene is so interesting to me because... Such a bold way to open the movie. That, 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 there's a like solid black background with the guy yeah, saying, yeah. I believe in America. And, and a just, solid... I mean, yeah. not talking about the theme of what the movie is. This is a movie about the American dream, right? Yeah. It's about yeah, yeah, yeah. this idea that anyone, and as it is as it actually divulges in The Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. it talks about how someone from meager beginnings can end up becoming and taking a rise to power and becoming this this great empire so to speak but that scene is so fascinating because the opening of this movie the first 30 minutes of this movie are essentially one scene it's it's the wedding sequence and uh another it's funny enough another movie in the 70s the deer hunter another three-hour movie does a similar thing where it's a it's like a giant 35 40 minute wedding sequence uh, a sequence that came first Uh, godfather Godfather, yeah 
Well, I mean, you could say that you could say that about everything the of Godfather course. does. Of like, course, which, yeah. which came first? Well, the Godfather. Yeah, the Deer Hunter. Did. I think they're Polish, so I'm Polish. So in the Deer Hunter, so they are. They, <laughs> You're welcome. It is a Polish wedding, I believe. But, we stole your wedding scene. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just it's fascinating to me how much is accomplished in that scene, though. Yeah. You set up Vito's relationship with like who he is as a character. You set up Michael as the outsider. Mm -hmm. You set up who all the other family members are. You set up the fact that Vito loves Michael, wants to be part of things, and won't partake that photograph that he won't do because Michael's not there. That's a great example of how tight structurally the movie is. He's like, oh, we can't take the picture without Michael. It's one line. Automatically, you know how much he reveres Michael uh, versus any of the other characters in the movie. And then it establishes all the, it establishes Luca Brazzi in like one of my favorite sequences ever when he's he's practicing. (laughs) Here's a muscular, badass hitman that is so nervous to talk to Vito Corleone yeah. he's practicing what he says and then he even mispronounces everything when he sees him like he he fumbles his words may your first child be a masculine child <laughs> yeah. and by the way you know what's amazing so he was actually a, a, a real life wrestler mm-hmm. he was not an actor right the, the, the so, actor who played the part right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, which if you cast someone like that you're probably gonna assume he's not gonna be a very good actor he he turned and uses that. Um, uh, Coppola uses that to his advantage. It's, I mean, yeah. A character who's not very well spoken, who's failing at acting essentially, and it works beautifully for the for the scene for the movie as a well. whole. Yeah. yeah, and it just uh, yeah. And, and, and going back to my first viewing experience of The Godfather, me as a seventeen year old watching this, I'm like, this scene's too long. Mm. Like that's what you know that that that's what. I, but now I just I see how masterfully it's constructed and how and how well done it is. The other the other area of the movie is like I, I the movie has three parts, it's three acts I would say. Mm-hmm. It's got your opening act until um until a veto is shot. Mm-hmm. And then um the, the the second major act leading into the after Michael kills the people and is forced to go to Italy, we have this middle act where he's in the Italian countryside, right, right. which is painted as the most idyllic, stereotypical version of the Italian countryside possible, um, which I love. And then uh, the third act is Michael coming back and reclaiming the throne. Right. It's almost like the um, it's almost the uh, the, Lion the Lion King. King. I was going <laughs> to no. say that, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or the Lion King is the or Hamlet or Hamlet, hit, right, right? But it's the same right. concept of you have your young you know ruler who's supposed to take over the throne, refuses the call essentially, or you know in this case forced away. And then has to come back and reclaim mm-hmm. the it. The hero's journey. The, yeah, and I, it's very interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting to think of him as the hero because he's he, he, you, you think of Michael Corleone more as, as, as a villain, right? I mean, or the anti-hero, I guess. I, I don't know yeah. if I, I wouldn't say villain. I don't mm-hmm. know if there is a villain in the movie, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess Barzini is mm-hmm. the villain. Barzini's a villain, yeah. Um, but and the other guy, too. The, uh, if you're supposed to Kirk. sympathize with the Corleones, then I guess, yeah. You're yeah. totally supposed to sympathize with the Corleones. our enemy. I think you're right. He is the anti-hero. He's the hero, but he's not doing heroic things, but he is our protagonist. But it's a tricky narrative, right? I mean, because they really get you to sympathize with him at the beginning. He's a war hero. Who's not going to sympathize with and a war hero? on top of that, he's also the, the only one in the, in the movie who says, like, I don't stand for any of this. This is all horrible. I'm not my family. So right. he's the one that's actually kind of weird. Like, yeah, there we go. We have a voice of reason. This guy understands it. Right. And then I mean, that's, that's why it's tricky, because at, at the beginning, you're kind of latched onto this character. I mean, and... Yeah. Uh, and, and then they and, and they they make you sympathize with him. Who's not going to sympathize with a war hero who uh, basically is just trying to protect his family, and even runs his, to Sicily, and he, then his wife is blown up and he comes yeah. back. I mean, of course. I mean, this is this is a guy who basically comes back uh, with all the joy sucked out of him. Well, mm-hmm. think about um, uh, just just the statement of bringing 
a white waspy woman to the most Italian wedding ever. Like what, especially an Italian family of of this caliber, like a statement that he's making by just doing that. Like, Played by Diane Keaton. Which I didn't even notice. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's just the thing. Everyone looks so damn young in this movie. Robert Duvall is a child. Yeah, yeah. In this movie. And he's also one of my favorite characters. He's great. Great, yeah. Because I also love this idea of this outsider who is a German guy who is uh, a German-Irish guy. uh, Which Italians and Irish have never gotten along, at least in New York. And I love how, you know, how accepted he is and how no one, you know... You know, questions his role there, right? And, and how I, trusted he is. He is. He is up there. He's like mm-hmm. one of. He's in the inner circle. Um, so yeah, it, it really fascinating character work uh, done so expertly. So and real quick, before we get off the topic of Michael, one more, more thing I wanted to bring up is interesting scene when when Vito wakes up and he finds out who killed, um, right? And he finds out it's Michael. He that's actually I think it's the other scene where we kind of see him break down a little bit. I don't think he actually cries there, but you can see there is a, a severe displeasure in learning that. His one son, who was actually going to make it, right? I think he had high hopes for his son to actually not to be, be a, a part of this. To be system. a congressman, right? To be a senator, to be clean, and mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I don't know how clean. I imagine he would always have him under his thumb in a way, right? Or he at least be doing favors for the family. But the fact that he could be a law-abiding citizen, he can get out of the system. He was well on his way, and then just mm-hmm. seeing how he gets pulled in, you know, um, um, yeah. yeah. And a part. Uh, and let's talk, you want to say something? Sorry. No, I was just going to say that Marlon Brando is is a uh, you know considered one of the greatest actors for a reason. I think he's able to convey a lot of yeah. that information with very little, uh, kind of very little, you know, he's, he just uh, kind of turns his head, right? Yeah. He, he just, he, you know, he's, you know, this movie has, a, there's a lot of really great eye acting in this movie, which is interesting because this movie's lit from above for the, for the most part, except for maybe the scenes in Sicily. So their eyes are all kind of just like black. They almost look like they're all wearing sunglasses, even though when they're not, but you can still, his face is so expressive. His eyes are just expressive enough so that when yeah. he's, you know, when he's, you, you can just read the pain on his face, you know, or you can read, you know, uh, you know, in, in the opening scenes, you can just, I mean, we, can we move on to Marlon Brando now? Because Marlon Brando is, you know, he's pretty amazing in this movie too. Well, and, I mean, Marlon Brando is such an interesting figure in cinema because of the stories about him. He's like, he's batshit crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't know that he was at this point, but he. But there was a point he, where he went became, completely off the deep end right. and, and it's just, this is when you still see him before, I guess he's taken that plunge. Uh, or maybe he's so nuts because he's so like I think that all great actors are just a little bit insane. Oh yeah, I think I think you have to be. And like I don't know if you if you've ever hung out with like like a <laughs> actors are always a little weird. They just you, always are. If like, you think about really what acting actors. is as a profession, you have to pretend to be other people for and you have to be able to do it like you know? on a dime. You have to kind yeah. of, you know delve right. in and out of your emotions in, right. in a way that's convincing to yourself and to everybody else. That's, right. that's yeah. a that's a dangerous uh, emotionally dangerous life to lead. I think. But is there ever? I mean, let's talk about the ostentatious choice of just the way he talks in this movie, which I think has been parodied to death. At this point, of course, this, uh, yeah. uh, this raspy, r- raspy yeah. voice. We even did it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I mean. Um, that choice, I mean, does that choice feel too big when viewing it, it now? No, it didn't. It didn't sound, I, I don't know. I, maybe because I was just used to it, I kind of took it for granted. But um, I don't know. There's something about it that just rings true because I think the easy thing to do is to just have a very deep voice and a very, you know, to have such a frail voice in a way for such a strong character is a very interesting decision. Well, I think the way I would read it, and when I first started watching it this time around, I'm like, is he going to talk like this the whole movie? Like, I, is it really like this? <laughs> but as I, as I, um, basically I started having to turn up the volume of my TV to hear him properly. Yeah, it was very and that, and So, but what I, I, if you think about this from a character standpoint, it's brilliant because here is this guy that everyone has to really pay attention to. 
like if he's the head of this crime family or whatever, he's a guy that if you want to hear what he's saying, you have to like you have to lean in closer to him mm. to understand what he's talking about. So you you give him all your respect and all your attention. And that makes sense that he's not this loud, you know, bombastic speaker, but is rather a person with a voice that's soft and almost hard to hear. And I think that's very interesting. I don't know if that's intentional or not. It's just something that I've noticed this time around. I'm sure it was intentional. And if you think about the stereotype of what gangsters were, if you've, if you've watched any movies from the 30s, 40s, yeah. and 50s, I mean, you know, you think James Cagney or, or hey, Edward G. Robinson or, you know, like loud, over the top, uh, you know, on the edge. And this this version of uh, of a mobster is very um, it's control in a very different kind of way, right? It's not control through anger; it's control through will. Uh, well, will I guess yeah. fear? You know, like silent. You know, um, the the power of of uh, listening and persuasion, uh, understanding that you know that, that uh, you know. I guess he's 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 done enough. He's known that he's done enough in his life that he doesn't have to say much, or he has doesn't yeah, have I think to do much. Like subconscious, as, subconsciously, as the audience, for someone like that to be in a position that he's in, and the, the respect he commands with a voice like that is just very interesting. I think it subconsciously just makes you even more sold on the fact that, like, it's somebody who isn't walking around swaggering, yelling at people, cursing at people. You know, mm-hmm. um, or even you just think of like you know, like the Joker in Dark Knight, mm-hmm. um, like what he did to, and it's, I think it's a very different character, obviously, but like you kind of compare and contrast these two characters and how he maintains control and, and his, you know, the way he kind of keeps his men in line versus this is just very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, a. and actually on that note, do we know in the novel, is he portrayed that way? Does he have a voice like that? Or is that something unique to the film? I've never read the book. So I, I would guess no it. I've read the book a long time ago, but I don't remember. I, I would guess it is probably unique to the film. I mean, it, it, it feel, uh-huh. it feels like Marlon Brando. Uh, I probably should know this having seen enough behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I, I would think that Marlon Brando just decided this is the way uh, the character would be, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, there's very distinct character choices, not even just in the voice, but just in the way it looks, the way his hair slicked back, the way his jowls and, and, uh, yeah. are kind of like enlarged a little bit, um, you know, the choice to just sit there and stroke a cat in the opening scene, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's so many, you know, he, this, this is a guy who, you know, he could have a gun on the table, you know, he could be wearing right. like a fedora or yeah. something, you yeah. know, there's all kinds of choices you can make as an actor in this movie, but he's... You know he's very distinct in and and uh, what he wants, and I imagine a lot a big part of that is is Francis Ford Coppola, the director, who we we, we barely mentioned, um, who you know this was his second movie, I think. What? I think this was his. That second just movie. makes me upset about yeah, life. Well, whatever you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, not everybody has to. Be I just want everyone to know at home. Dave just waved <laughs> off my entire career with a pat. Well, <laughs> you know, Ivan, you tend to get upset when you feel like directors are a certain age, and you haven't. Uh, you're like, oh, I, I, he did this by the time he was like Orson Welles made Citizen Kane when he was 26 or 27. Oh, it's so annoying. You know, it's <laughs> so what? I mean, it, you know, whatever. Once you pass that that uh, that goalpost, then you just move on and say, well, I'm done. I didn't make Citizen Kane by the time I was 26. I can just. Do you know, I'm 31. I can do motion graphics until, <laughs> until the end of my life. Um, <laughs> no, it, it is crazy that, you know, he made this so early in his career. And then he follows it up with so many movies that are, you know, just incredibly important, like Godfather Part Two and Apocalypse Now. The Conversation. The Conversation. Yeah. Just really big movies. And then he goes off to uh, make wine and not make movies ever again. Right. So, hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, he, he did keep making... He did make uh, a few good movies, um, I would I'm say. Actually and then a, has become kind of like an independent experimental filmmaker in the last 
20 years. Well, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Francis Ford Coppola's The Rainmaker, which is the John Grisham adaptation, which is a movie I feel like gets kind of swept under the rug a lot. But I think starring it's Matt Damon. Starring Matt, a young Matt Damon. I think that movie is actually very well constructed, almost in a similar way, a patient way that it's not, I mean, obviously it's not The Godfather, but mm. it's it constructed in a similarly patient way. That's more of a job for hire, it, it feels like. I mean, The Godfather feels like a family movie. Like, like it was something that was like, well, he was it, meant to make the way St. Literally, because his Star Wars daughter's movie. in it, so. Yes, <laughs> Sophia Coppola does play a uh, young, are you talking about Sophia well, she, Coppola? Sophia Coppola's in The Godfather yeah. Part 3, but Talia Shire also is uh, in it as well. His sister, right? It's his sister, right. so yeah. um, she plays Connie in the film. Right. So it's just... Um, um, so, uh, well, other thing I want to talk to you about is this idea of a gangster movie, you would typically expect to see, um, action sequences and the action sequences in this film, uh, even a movie like Miller's Crossing has the big shootout sequence. Right. Um, and this movie does have a, a giant shootout by execution where Sonny is murdered, right. a very famous sequence, but that's not a sequence where like Sonny is fighting back or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just him being executed. And this movie is all about the tension before someone is shot. Yeah, it's a lot of staccato, just like, you know, boom, one shot, and that guy's dead. And the, this a, guy's dead. Yeah. A great example of that is I think one of the best scenes ever in all movies is this uh, the scene where Michael has to kill the two people in, oh, in the yeah. restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the tension in that sequence is just unreal. Like, mm. oh, yeah. when is he going to get up? Is the gun going to even be there yeah. when he goes back there? And then when he, and the whole time he's like, you know, as soon as you get out of the bathroom, you should pop him right away. Right, he sits, he down, sits back and down. Like, oh, like, what are you doing? Do yeah. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You can't sit back down. Like, yeah. Yeah. that kind of thing. And, so, then it's all, and it's all conveyed in Al Pacino's performance which is, is is wordless right it's just you know like this slow dolly shot into his eyes and the, the sound design of the trial mm-hmm. of the uh, the train going by and and uh, just knowing yeah. what we know up until yeah. that point i mean it's it's uh you know it's you're right like the, the tension you know it's not tense it's not tense for me now watching it but i mean when the first time i saw it it definitely was and i can imagine audiences in 1972 seeing this and just uh, on the edge of their seat, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And if we're talking about this idea of how well-crafted the movie is, and just in terms of editing, the end climax of the movie, where Michael Corleone, while he is, you know, standing up to be godfather for his nephew, mm-hmm. uh, nephew, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, they show the murdering of all the heads mm-hmm. of the five families in, I think, one of the most brilliant juxtapositions ever. Yep. Here's a guy taking, in a religious ceremony... Swearing off evil. Swearing like, off yeah. evil. And at the exact same time, he is commissioning the death and murder, violent murder, mm-hmm. of multiple, multiple people. Yeah, it's not a subtle movie, right? It's I mean, not. <laughs> because it, they're like, okay. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah I'm, like, I'm not saying, yeah, subtle doesn't always mean good. Yeah. No, but for sure. And I think that we, we come into this idea of like cinematic touchstone movies as being like a real cinematic and really smart movie is real subtle. Like we, right. we get into that idea that, you know, we can't be big and bold. This is a very big it's big in its themes mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't shy away from them. But I think that only fits the epic nature of an epic such as the Godfather. So, yeah. um, all that works very, uh, well for me. So I want to talk about a couple memorable scenes for me. And if this is getting annoying because I'm just like, that scene was so great because <laughs> what else can we do in this podcast? No, <laughs> but like, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, how terrifying is the horse head sequence? Like uh, it's still uh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like, it's still terrifying. It's well. It, I'll tell you the truth. When I saw it the first time on my little 13-inch TV, I had no idea what it was. What it was <laughs> in the bed because they don't they don't cut to a scene later on where they're like, 
So wasn't that so great about how we he got cut the, off horse, the horse head got and the put horse. it in his bed, and now he'll do what he said. He'll, he'll do what we say and give Johnny right. that part in the movie. They, they, they never mention it. You just have to know that it's a horse head. Well, they, but of course, they, it helps if you see it on the big screen. You can tell that it's well, a horse the head. Well, set, the setup is fantastic for it, though. He's like, oh, it's $6 million. I'm going to put him out for a stud. Like, like this <laughs> yeah. is like a symbol of... Here's a symbol of my, my power, masculinity yeah. and my virility. It's right. literally, it's literally a sim- like again, not being subtle. It's literally a horse that will is is having sex, yeah. is, is having sex with other people, passing on its power and grandeur. Right. And the Coyote family just chops off its goddamn head <laughs> yeah. and throws it into this guy's bed in a bloody pool. And like. I once woke up, and this is unrelated. Like, have you ever woken up with a bloody nose? Like, sure I've done this like when it's like dry outside, yeah. and like you cover it, like you're covered in blood. You're like, oh my god, this is the most terrifying thing yeah, ever. Yeah, like, where's it coming from? <laughs> is it still happening. I just, it just it's something about this scene just resonates the terror in me. And like, even the first bit of blood you see, it's just like a very, very light handprint, just very subtle on the co- on the covers, and you're like, oh, is that was that blood? Oh god! And then just a slow descent into like just it's slick with blood. There's just ah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and again, I think that the fact that they don't ever address it ever again other than to show the Frank Sinatra ripoff being like, oh, I got that part and, you know, thanks so much that all worked out. And here's, <laughs> thanks, here's bro. The, High here, five. Here's the, flower, here's the flowers that the, uh, you know. It's the first bit of violence. It's like the closest to violence you see in the movie. I mean, the, the actual first violent act, I think, is Michael Corleone shooting the corrupt cop and, and Salazzo, the, uh, the drug king. Thing, uh, right? You do see what's his name. His, his dad again shot. Mm-hmm. You're right. But, and then another another very tense sequence is when he's with the baker outside the hospital, and the oh, baker has to pretend to great. be a bodyguard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, put your you know your finger in your pocket, and uh, you know mm-hmm. it's just little moments like that. That moment is more tense to me than a thousand shootouts mm-hmm. or fight sequences and stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. So it really shows the the expert nature of how the movie is put together. Um, I did want to bring up. Hold on, I had a bunch of notes. You go and talk about yourself. Why I can. Okay, well, actually, notes. one thing I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> is uh, cinematography of it. There was a recurring shot, a recurring theme that happens over and over and over again, and that's uh, shooting things through doors. Obviously, the very famous end shot, right? With the, you know, I think that mm-hmm. that kind of perfectly... But I think it, it works because it kind of creates this, like, this feeling of division, um, mm-hmm. this feeling of like intimacy scrutiny on one area, and but also mm-hmm. the idea that there are like there's levels, there's circles. That, you know, Michael is in on this. It, mm-hmm. it just the, the levels of intrigue, you know, the, the inner circle of the mafia. It also um, makes us feel a little more like observers, like we're, we're really right. getting a peek in on this right. like life that, that none of us have seen before. Yep, and I think it's you know I think that's what makes that end shot so good because we've been setting up for that the entire movie, and it's not just doorways; it's just like through. I think in Italy, there's a couple of shots like through just archways or gateways. Like mm-hmm. it's just a, a recurring theme, mm-hmm. and then the, the last shot being the door shutting. Like, mm-hmm. oh, brilliant! Just yeah. like it, and, and I think just the setup to do that and the planning of that out, like that's just it's beautifully done. Um, and uh, here's what I was going to talk about. Uh, one of the things I admire that the movie does is the way it handles exposition and the roles of everyone in this organization. There are some occasions where the film, you know, where Michael is telling Kay as a, as a narrative device about like, oh, that's Luca Brazzi and they did this or blah, blah, blah. But the movie just kind of throws you into this world and never has like a sequence and be like, and Vito Corleone is the head of this and he does yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that are under his command. There's never like, you never cut to like a cop sequence where they have like the, uh, the board with everyone's picture and yeah, it's all like yeah. connected Wanted. by yard. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And here's the head and like that. And this is him. Is his, his number one is this guy and this guy. Yeah. yeah. And it's very, so, but you get all those relationships without ever really having to do that, which I think the movie, uh, it should be 
admired for. Yeah, it's well, almost like you wouldn't know this is really a gangster movie until you, you know, it's like they don't really, especially in the opening sequence, Well, right? this, there is a great, again, really uh, a movie that is not subtle, but great little touches. Like outside the weddings, there's just cops that are yeah. there. Yeah. You never see that they're badge, but they're they're watching the wedding, like, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, you never like get a close up of the badge or whatever, but you get this idea that this family is constantly being watched and surveyed and all that kind of thing. And I think that those little details, little details throughout the movie, when uh, Michael is courting, um, I forget what's Apollo- his Apollonia. Apollonia, Apollonia, great name by the way. Um, when he's courting her in in Sicily, and. He's on the first date, but the family's following him. Yeah, which I'm guessing is a tradition. Is is, is must be a respectful tradition that yes. you, um, uh, you know, the you know, you're not allowed to have take your virginist woman out on a first date alone. Like she has to be, you know, chaperoned right, right. or whatever. I think like little moments like that. I think really convey the culture of the movie and 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 put you into this world without ever stating stuff like uh one of the worst offenders of this ever is a movie i quite like is casino royale the james bond movie where they're explaining how poker works hmm. there's like a sequence where a guy yeah. is like it's like and if he has a higher card than this card he'll win the game and it's just like <laughs> right. yeah we get it buddy yeah. like and i don't think this movie ever has that for i mean yes it's not subtle but it's not hitting over your you over the head with um, plot or uh, it's, it's subtle with the character, uh, like the way the characters talk to each other. I guess it's just it's not character. It's not subtle with the themes that it's you know. That's probably a better it, way yeah. of phrasing it. Yeah. Right. Um, question, and this is open question time. I think I still mm. do not understand when watching this movie. How does Vito Corleone know that Barzini is responsible? He has that meeting with well, the five that, families. That's the mysticism of the character. I think, yeah, I think yeah. he's just good at reading. So there's people nothing. There's, there's no tell. I mean, that's the one thing I was I watching for so. this time. I mean, if you just listen to the, the, the meeting, it's the way I think Barzini kind of seems to be driving it for the most part. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just one of those things that you see. Someone like him can look at a room full of people interacting and know who's kind of calling the shots, who's pulling the strings. I agree. I think it would have been nice if we kind of, or at least we, we see him do something that we're like, oh, cool. But I would have liked to tell that only Vito picked up on. But we, the right. audience, are somehow privy to his logic, almost like a Sherlock Holmes moment where he notices or, the thing that... Or, because that can almost feel a little cheap, if we, but if you don't do that, then just have him explain something in a way. Because the way he says it, it's like, oh, yeah. I, By I, the I, way, this is the real bad guy. like, oh, wait, I, how? It, it had to be more of like, you know, he says something like, you know... So Barzini needed to like, tap his shoulder a couple times, rub his nose. <laughs> right. Winks at a guy across the table or nudges the guy next to him. Yeah. Um, well, I just know that if I was writing the screenplay and... I know I'm not because I'm not you good enough done to right, be. You know? No, but yeah. I would have this moment of like, well, I gotta, I gotta somehow tell the audience that he knows, and maybe that's something that's really cool. It's maybe it's a bold choice by Coppola and the, and the screenwriters Mario Puzo and Coppola working together in this case. That you know, they're just like our character is a badass. He just knows. And he, just knows. he sees what other people do not see. Exactly. Um, any 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 other thoughts you want to bring up about the Godfather as we kind of start winding down here? Yeah, I, I think if my only criticism of it, um, and it's hard to criticize it because it brings so much to the movie, but just the whole interlude on the Italian countryside, um, I feel like it kind of it, it feels almost out of left field in a sense um, because it's so disconnected, it's so far disconnected from a lot of things. Uh, and then it just kind of abruptly ends. Like we see the car explode, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's it. We don't see how Michael deals with it. We don't see how any how he kind of processes that at all. Right. Well, um, I think we do see it later. I mean, just in, in the kind of person that you he see becomes. who he's become because of right. Him. And that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I just think, but I, maybe it's just because I'm used to seeing that in a movie where you see him mourning it or something. And I don't know if I would change it. Like I, I, I like how they do it, and I like how you know you see the repercussions of it without actually seeing 
the immediate stuff afterward. But um, yeah, it's possible. There, I mean, who knows? Maybe they even shot a scene like that. But I mean, uh, the movie's so long, and, and there's right, so much yeah, more story yeah. to get to that, uh, that you know. It's one of those things I feel like, you know, could it have been more efficient just to kind of keep them hidden somewhere in, in America? Yeah. You know? Um, I just, I like the idea, though, that he has to go back to where his family's from. He literally goes to Corleone, yeah. Sicily, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, one thing I want to bring up is uh, one of the secret heroes of 70s cinema, John Cazale, who plays Fredo in this movie. Oh, yeah. He's a, and we, we and, should talk about he's, Fredo. He's more of a setup for, I mean, we, we're not talking about, we're not talking about The Godfather Part Two. uh, Obviously, in this podcast, much at least. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's interesting that they set up his. You know, his character becomes more. I'll just say his, his character becomes more uh, of of a, of a the weasel. No, well, I don't, okay. I'm not trying to describe more of more of a more integral more in- integral to the the plot, right? More uh, to the story. Where in this movie, he's just kind of there to be, um, you know, so that we can see what kind of person Michael's become when. Uh, you know, he talks to Fredo in a certain way. Like, wow, he's talking to his own family members uh, as if they're they're nothing to him. You know, right. or as or as if they're his, his underlings. You know, that yeah. this is the kind of man he's become. That's his older brother, right? So right, he's older than him. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fredo yeah. is the is an I older just, brother. I like this idea that it's never even brought up that the second in command. Technically, after Sonny dies, it should be mm-hmm. Fredo who's the heir. Right. But everyone like, knows. Why don't we just skip over this guy? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing. They they never actually address it. Uh, at least not in this movie. They don't address why why Fredo was skipped over. They they just know that uh, you know. I think it's pretty they, evident. They know that Marlon Brando's yeah. character had a preference for Michael, and uh, you know it was kind of, you know, he did kind of volunteer himself to to you know kill kinda... to kill their enemy and and uh, flee the country. So it's uh, you know he gets a little bit of a reward when he comes back. He gets to he, get, he gets to lead the family. And another interesting thing about this movie, I, I thought when we were when I was watching this with Michelle, and uh, we were trying to figure out how much time had passed. You know, while we were watching it, because there's, you know, there's, there's makeup decision, there's makeup uh, changes in Marlon Brando's, you know, on, on his face. I mean, I think it probably starts in 46 or 47 and it goes up through 55 or 56. And uh, obviously he doesn't, he looks like he ages like 20, 30 years in the movie, like between those, that, that 10 year span. Yep. Um, but the other characters, I mean, it's like Al Pacino, I think was in his early 30s. So I think he's playing a character in his early 20s, getting up to his early 30s in the movie. Um, what, what a difference! He looks like a kid in the beginning, yeah. And they somehow age him in a way. Yeah, where just, I'm like, God, how long? How long did it take to film this? Maybe just his actually, post, just his posture, I think. Yeah, just, his just face the way gets he, more lines in it. Yeah, like it just looks aged and more tired. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, sharper. I would guess there's probably some subtle character makeup with uh, all, all, all the characters, not just Marlon Brando. Um, yeah, and you know, there's just Bang like he, the same thing. You know, in, in that set, that last act of the movie, you know, there's you know, uh, Al Pacino shows up. He's a different person. He's dressed up in the uh, the fedora and in the, 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 the trench coat. He's talking to Diane Keaton, and then you cut to a scene. A few scenes later, you see like a three year old kid sitting in the back seat of the car with him. You yeah. know, they don't like they don't have any little title cards that say like three years, four years later. They just you know, you just yeah. you can just see time passing in the movie. The one think, one thing, his bruise seemed to stick around for a real long time. I thought that face. was an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, which a, I, don't, I don't think it was a bad thing. I'm just thinking it was more like accurately. I feel like when he, once he gets to Italy, it should have disappeared much faster. It stuck around. I think visually, it's great. I think it's know. it's a it's a great idea and a great metaphor and a symbol of you know his past and you know the things are still aren't healed over and he's still you know. But I'm like, would he still? I don't know. That? I mean, I've never been punched in the face by a gigantic police captain. So I can. I mean, I can, I can do it right now. Do you want to? Are you a gigantic police captain? It wouldn't take me long. <laughs> right. You're pretty big guy as it is. Okay, I mean. So we're gonna pause the podcast. Mike's gonna punch Dave, and we're gonna see how long. It <laughs> I was takes. gonna hold him down. We're gonna see how long it takes for him to heal, and then we'll and, get back to you. And we'll get back to you in a couple weeks. Um, oh, I think oh, that's, I think that's a good place. Cheek. Yeah. Wow. 
And, and, my, and Dave's down, so I think it's a good time to start winding down the podcast. <laughs> Get up, stop crying. Um, <laughs> I think that we've had a, we said some good things about The Godfather. Uh, obviously, if you've listened this far, I'm assuming you've already seen the movie, but if you haven't, you really should check, check this one out. out. This is a movie that I uh, would like to see on a big screen one day. I've never have, and I would love to see it I find on a real theater. I find, there's something oddly, it, and this is weird to say, but I find something oddly comforting about The Godfather, and I don't know what it is. Oh, you know what's funny that you mentioned that? There's a famous... Um, uh, I guess not short story, but essay written as by dark as it is, you know? written by Sarah Vol. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a contributor for NPR yeah, and Vowel. Yeah. She's also the voice of the girl in The Incredibles. Yes. Um, she wrote a whole essay about how The Godfather is the most comforting movie, and oh. how it like hmm. it, it got her through like like when she was like in school studying and she was really stressed out. She would put on The Godfather as like a way to like not stressed out. And it, I, I don't know. It's funny that you mentioned that. And, she, and you know, and I know there's certain scenes that I, you know, there's certain moments that stick out like uh, Michael and Kay walking in front of a, the, all the Christmas scenes and at the beginning of the movie, there's something comforting mm, about that. Yeah. Just the, um, it's something, I think it's, just, it's the lighting. I, I mean, the, even his room, uh, Fido's room, I think it's, it's, everything is very, very dark. The mm-hmm. way it, the, the light is, a, there's a lot of, uh, what is it, sfumato? Is mm-hmm. that what it's like, light and dark? Or no, chiaroscuro. Yeah, chiaroscuro. Um, I don't know it's what almost that is, like, it's almost, It almost like reminds me of like reading a book by the fireplace in the, in yeah, the you know, like it's, a, it's very dimly you know? lit. It's soft, it, not soft, but it's, it's dark. It feels like, yeah, there's something about it. I know what you mean. And in, in, yeah. in, in an unnerving way, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, the Godfather's a good movie, and we um, we it took us an hour to come. We 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 reviewed the movie, and it's it's good, guys. The Godfather's still good. Hold, holds up. So holds we up. we did it. We proved everyone right. Uh, Mike, we should can, we should look at part two. I think I'd like to. Right? If we don't do it, I'm going to probably do it anyway. We yeah. should definitely do it uh, in a couple months. I need a little bit of a breather though. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike, where can people find your amazing work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mike Morandi or MikeMorandi.com. And Dave, what about you? Dave Glanz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. <laughs> you can find me at Ivan Kander, that's K-N-D-E-R, on Twitter. My website is Lucky9Studios.com, and I am an editor and curator for ShortOfTheWeek.com. So um, if you uh, like this show, be sure to give us a rating on iTunes um, and um, subscribe to us. That'd be great. And you can find all those pertinent links on our website at ReviewedPodcast.com. Dot com and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast and you can email the show email at, us. at contact at reviewedpodcast.com for movie suggestions and we will get to them eventually because everyone that has been suggested we have gotten to it just takes usually a couple weeks for us to get to them next uh, episode is Dave's Dave's da- Dave's choice Dave's, Dave's choices and, Dave's and Dave what are we watching an American werewolf in London American Werewolf in London. Halloween. Uh, in honor of the last movie we're probably going to do before Halloween. It's a 1981 movie? Does that I think so. Right? 81 or 82. Directed by John Landis. Oh, I didn't know that. I love this kind of movie because Mike always shakes his head when I suggest this <sighs> we kind had, of movie. We had a and then you always, of movies. And then you always end up... Uh, this is the kind. Of, this is the kind of movie that you may be surprised by. Don't worry, Dave. I will hate this movie. Okay. So there hate. we go. Uh, until <laughs> we'll next time, uh, I already gave my impression. I don't think we heard Mike's. Mike, can you give me a little Godfather. What do you want me to say? <laughs> I'm a Godfather. <laughs> See you next week. See you in two weeks. All right. Ready. Here we go. Ready to rock? Because I am. I'm ready to go. Talk about this little ditty.
The Godfather. <laughs>